back to Bethlehem, and uh, our text is going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And let me read what Luke had to say. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Think about it. How amazed the angels must have been when they saw the Creator, Jesus Christ, come down and be born as a creature. God coming as a speechless baby. And the first announcement of the Messiah's birth was given by an angel to some unknown shepherds out in the field somewhere in Israel. Now, why? would the angels announce to these unknown, lowly shepherds about the birth of Jesus Christ? Why not to priests or scribes or to the elite of that time? Because by visiting shepherds, the angel revealed the grace of God toward the human race. You see, shepherds were really outcasts in Israel because of their vocation. Shepherds were at the bottom of the, of the ladder in society because the animals defiled them and they'd be out in the fields for weeks and wouldn't be able to, you know, uh, remove the defilement to go into the temple to worship. And so the shepherds were really outcasts. But you know what? God is still calling outcasts to himself today. And here we are, another Christmas Eve, And the bells of Bethlehem are ringing out one more time. Bells all over, you know, ringing out, signaling the birth of Christ. Sending their message of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And as the beautiful, meaningful sound of the bells falls again on the ears of humanity, what will men and women and children be thinking about Christmas this year? Will it be the same? Just the merchandising, the shopping, the running around, and just another Christmas. There are millions, sad to say, even so-called Christian countries, where those Christmas bells will ring, but will mean nothing of a dynamic spiritual significance. It will be nothing more than the traditional joyous symbolism of a yearly celebration. But there are others, too, all over the world who will think deeply once again about the profound mystery of God's love, which Christmas celebrates. The profound love of God who would leave his creation, the beautiful creation of the heavens, and come to this little speck of dirt called earth. But the thing I think will register in the minds of thoughtful people, and that's why I said think about this. The thing that will register in the minds of thoughtful people again more than anything this Christmas is the ironic contrast between the beautiful sound of the Christmas bells and the songs that we just sung. Just amazing lyrics, deep spiritual meaning, and the message of the angels that they brought peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and the current state of the world. We are not a world at peace. We are definitely not showing goodwill toward one another. It's a world tonight seething with rivalries 
and malice. International suspicions were, you know, suspicion of our neighbors across the world. Crooked negotiations, bitter hostilities, the threats of war, and troubling fears. It's very obvious to see that we're a very divided nation and a very divided people. We're divided by our politics, aren't we? Republicans and Democrats. Just hating one another, just about. We're divided by race. You see, the problem isn't the race. It's the problem within the race. The races. We're divided by our religions, by traditions, by ideologies. We're divided by walls versus no walls. Impeach, don't impeach. And people are saying... If things don't change, we're headed toward another civil war. The greatest contradiction is that even though the cure for all of man's problems came to Bethlehem wrapped up in the swaddling clothes of that little babe of Bethlehem. That's why he came. And we celebrate it all over the world tonight. Many people will not have it. We'll still reject it. And still look in vain for the cures of this world's ills in other places, in other people, in other things. One day Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem when he told his disciples what was going to happen there. But they couldn't understand what he was trying to tell them. Some of the people in the crowd thought that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to free Israel from the Roman government. And that Jesus would set up his kingdom there. Others followed Jesus just to see what he would do next. The next miracle that he would perform. And as they got closer to Jerusalem, and Jesus saw the city ahead, he started to cry and say, He started to cry and he said, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus was telling them what was going to happen in the future. And he cried. Yeah, Jesus cried. It showed his his humanity. Because he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the nation. And sure enough, in AD 70, the Romans would come. And after a siege of 143 days, kill 600,000 Jews. And take thousands more captive and destroy the temple and the city. You see, Jesus tried to tell them. He warned them. Why did it happen? John tells us in his gospel, because the people did not know that God was with them. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. And that's why our nation and our people are in the situation they're in. They've continued to reject the Son of God, His love. Our refusal, and here's the thing, and what we're seeing happening in our nation today is because of the refusal of Jesus Christ. Because, see, the refusal of Jesus Christ often expresses itself in the way we treat each other. In the way we behave towards one another. In the book of Ruth, we're told about a man from Bethlehem. His name was Elimelech. And he was married to a woman named Naomi. And they left Bethlehem and they, they, they took off, they left Bethlehem looking for better opportunities in an unknown land called Moab. 
Now, the name Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasantness. Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem for Noab with their two sons, Malone, whose name is Joy, and Kilion, whose name means ornament. These four leave Bethlehem. But in Moab, when, they gets there, when he gets there, he dies. Elimelech dies, and so does his two sons. And after 10 tragic years, Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, and she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. See, this is a future picture telling the sad story of men and nations in relation to Bethlehem. And the great need is for people and leaders and nations to get back to Bethlehem. We have to get back there. No matter how hard or humbling it might be, we have to get back there. Even if we have to be driven there by the miseries and the sufferings that we bring upon ourselves. All the while that Jesus was on earth, he was trying to show us that there was a higher life. There was a higher calling to us. But it was then, and it still is today, being refused. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Luke tells us Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. No room. No room for Jesus. How the nations today need to stop their shouting and listen again to those angels in Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. You see, still today, there's no room for Jesus Christ in people's lives. The millions of broken hearts and broken homes that lay across the land is a sad legacy of wars of all kinds. World wars, substance abuse wars, husband and wife wars, family wars, spiritual wars. And they're all due to the refusal of men and women and nations to give Jesus Christ the proper place of authority in their lives. And the saddest refusal of all is a direct refusal of the divine gift. The divine gift of love that was sent down to us in the person of God in Christ. Born in a manger. Yes, love came down at Christmas. Love walked with us. Love talked with us. <clears throat> Love walked up and down the streets of Galilee and Judea, and he's walking up and down the streets of the, of, of the United States of America tonight, and he's walking down these aisles here tonight, wanting to touch hearts, wanting to have priority in our lives to bring peace and goodwill toward men. God became flesh. And blood, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the Bible says, who was full of grace and truth. In Jesus Christ, God looks on us through human eyes. He looks at us through human eyes. He calls to us with human hands. He calls to us through human lips. He walks toward us with human feet over life's troubled journey. He sympathizes with us. Because, you see, he was a man. He was 100% man and he was 100% God when he was on this earth. So he knows what we go through. He knows how to deal with the things that we go through. He sympathizes 
through, through, through human weaknesses. And he feels for us with a divine love, which now <clears throat> beats through a human heart in the person of Jesus Christ. This truth that Christ is the gift of God is one of the most essential, far-reaching in the New Testament. And we just need to reflect for a moment again to realize this. Paul called Jesus Christ the indescribable gift. No words can explain the gift of God, Jesus Christ. The Father's fundamental attitude toward us is one of a father and with compassion. And never forget that the heart of the Heavenly Father is overflowing with compassion towards us and, that's, and that Christ is His redeeming gift to us. Not only that, if Christ is the gift of God, in which He is, then you can see the Father's grace in the giving of that gift. And remember, a gift is something that's given totally apart from obligation. God didn't have to give us anything. He didn't have to send His Son. So again, a gift is something that's totally apart from obligation. You can't pay for a gift. You can't earn it. You just receive it. And I can't remember ever, you know, when I gave somebody a gift that they said, no, I don't want it. And you laugh because it, it's silly. And yet God sent his son to give us an indescribable gift and we refuse it. We refuse it. And men have been refusing it for over 2,000 years. And as sinners, we have no right to expect such a gift. Usually we give gifts to only people we like. God gave us the gift of his son. Even when we said, I could care less about God. I don't want anything to do with God. He still sent that gift for us. Indescribable. Indescribable is what Christ is called. Because he's totally Undeserved. We don't deserve him. The Father sending us the Son, born of Mary, was an expression of the purest grace of God. The Apostle Paul, you know, when he chose that word to describe Jesus Christ, he didn't casually just pick that word out of thin air. Like today, we use, we'll use a word to describe everything like love. Oh, I love my dog. I love my wife. Hopefully it isn't the same kind of love. I love burritos. I love my car. I love, you know, so we'll use that word and we'll, we'll cover a lot of bases with it. But Paul just didn't think, of, oh, that's the first word. I No, it was the perfect word to describe Jesus Christ because he's indescribable. Indescribable. Christ is God's indescribable gift. Why is he indescribable? First of all, because of who he is. Second, because of what he did. Third, because of the results from what he did. He has brought forgiveness for our sins, reconciliation with God through Christ's forgiveness of sins. Oh, how indescribable is such a gift. There are no words to really describe the fullness of who Christ is. Christ is what food is to starving. Christ is what water is to those who are thirsty. And Christ is what rest is to those who are weary. Christ is what pardon is to the condemned prisoner. Christ is what healing is to the diseased and the dying. All of that and a whole lot more is Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of mankind. Even more, 
If Jesus Christ is the gift of God, then we see the Father's concern for you and me. Because it's a gift that's beneficial to you. You know, we try to give gifts that will benefit the person we're giving it to. We just don't, and that's what makes it so hard. What shall I give this person that, that, that they're going to like, that they can use, that's going to be beneficial to them? What good is a gift that doesn't serve any purpose? You know, we get a gift and we open it. What am I going to do with this? I remember I was 14 years old. And my aunt gave me this little bow and arrow with the rubber suction cups on it. Does she think I'm four or five years old? What am I going to do with this? Last of all, if Christ is the gift of God, then Christ is meant to be eagerly and immediately and gracefully received. Gratefully received. Thank God it's possible to receive Christ here and now, tonight. But on the other hand, being that Christ is the gift, of God. You know what? He can also be refused. He can also be refused. A gift is never forced on somebody, is it? It's never forced on the receiver. Here, you gotta take it. I don't want it. Okay, so be it. Because when it's forced on the receiver, it's no longer a gift in the sense of what a gift is. But here's the Amazing yet mysterious thing about God. He will never violate your free will to refuse his gift of love. Salvation for our sins. You see, God knew what we needed. He knew we needed salvation. He knew that we were sinful people. That's why he sent the Savior. If we needed more money, he would have sent a, 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 an economist. If we needed more politics, he'd have sent a politician. If we needed more, you know, medical help, we'd send a, he'd have sent a physician. But he sent a savior because it's what we needed. It's what we need the most. But he won't force Christ on you. One thing is clearly true. Only those who have received the gift can really give thanks for it. No others can really sing the Christmas songs that we did. Or, any Chris, or experience any Christmas with real understanding or joy and with loving gratitude unless we've know, we know and have experienced the gift. And we pray that, that, that you may sing more than ever with true feelings this Christmas, thanking God for his indescribable gift. And think again what wonderful hope this indescribable gift brings sinful and troubled individuals. The angel said to Joseph, and she will bring forth the son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That was his whole purpose of coming. He will save them from their sins, not in them. And soon after the angels were singing over the fields of Bethlehem, this song, unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. His very name defines him as Savior. His very birth was that he might become our Savior. He came here only and specifically for that reason, to save us from our sins. 
And you know, we're foolish to try to explain the incarnation based on other grounds. In other words, there are so many who try to explain away that Jesus Christ was born a virgin. Oh, no, he wasn't. You know, he was born like anybody else. And, and you know, he really didn't come. You know, it wasn't really God in the flesh. And, and all of the, uh, the, the philosophers and scientists and, and all those, they try to explain away the gift of God. But it's foolish to try to explain away the gift of God. To try to explain away the fact of human sin. Nobody has ever been able to explain why a people have become so violent and so evil. It must be, you know, that, that sin has to be. It, God's explained it. It's sin. We have listened to evolutionists for centuries tell us that sin, so-called, it's just an animalistic fault from the humanity that we're evolving from and gradually freeing ourselves from. Hey, look at the division and the hatred today and say with a straight face, yeah, we're evolving. I don't think so. We've listened to psychologists and humanistic writers telling us their pet professional opinion in their exaggerated worrying that sin really isn't the evil which is thought to be. And yet all the time, our conscience within us is shouting, that's wrong. Well, if we were evolved from animals, where do we get a conscience? Where do we get a conscience? Because it keeps telling us, in spite of all the philosophers and evolutionists, it keeps telling us sin is sin. And we would be smart to accept what the Bible says about human nature. Listen to what God said in Genesis 8.20. He said, everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. That's God's word. We're born with a sinful nature. And go back and look at your sweet little darling when they were about two years old. And that sinful nature. Did you have to teach him to do bad? No. No, you got to teach them to do right. They know how to be bad. It's born in our nature, passed on from Adam. In other words, we are sinners and there is a Savior that will save us from our sin. You see, sin is man's tragedy and Jesus is God's answer. All of our problems stem from Adam. All of our solutions stem from Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave him to become one of us. Through that, that incarnation, that babe in the manger at Bethlehem. Gave him to be one of us so that he might show us who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've heard me, you've heard the father. Listen to the angels sing again. Unto you is born this day a Savior. Yes, unto you. Notice, unto you. Make it personal. Put your name in there. Joe, a Savior is born to you. A Savior is born for you, Joe. And let each one of us make it personal and say, unto me. Put your name in there. Is born this day a Savior. 
He was born for me and for you. He's no longer the babe in Bethlehem. He's no longer the boy from Nazareth. He's no longer the young prophet of Galilee. He's no longer on the cross. He's no longer in the grave. He's the living and ever-present Savior who right now stands at the right door of, at the door of every unbelieving heart. Tonight, he's standing at the door of every unbelieving heart with love, and he's saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens that door, I will come into him and have fellowship with him and you with me. Notice the Bible says he knocks. Once again, he will not knock your door down. He wants to be invited into your life. So let's get back to Bethlehem's manger and stay there. At the Bethlehem manger is where it reveals to us its deepest meanings and its most divine inspirations. Those who hurry and scurry about at Christmas, it's not going to have much meaning for us. And last night I did the dumbest thing. I told my wife, after I left the office here, I thought I'd go up and pick up a prescription at Walmart over at Chino Hills. Oh, man. <laughs> Un- uh, unbelievable. You talk about hurrying and scurrying. There were people, I mean, in the mall, driving other cars off of the lane, honking. I saw five guys a couple of parking rows back of me, and they were yelling, and I, I think they probably hit somebody in the parking lot. And I'm getting starting to get just as anxious as everybody else. And God had to speak, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're getting ready to go tell everybody about you know, the, the love of God, and, and you're getting caught up in all this anxiety. <laughs> People not letting you in. And it, it took me an hour just about to get there and get out. And this is exactly the whole point of the message. Is that people are hurrying and scurrying about in the commercialism and the anxiety. And Christmas, the point of Christmas is the furthest from their mind. In Matthew chapter 2, it reads, the three wise men who are looking at Jesus says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They said, for we have seen his star in the east, and we've come, notice, to worship him. They came, they were looking for him so they they could worship him. What's happened to worshiping him at Christmas? The word worship is full of meaning. It gives the idea of falling down, prostrating oneself, and kissing the feet or the hem of the garment of the one that's being honored. And despite the three wise men's paganism and their semblance of science and superstition, they recognized God's voice when he spoke. And we pray that tonight you'll recognize the voice of God as he's speaking to you tonight. And even though the three wise men had limited spiritual insight, they immediately recognized the light that God was shining on them. Their hearts were truly seeking the Christ child, hearts that the Lord promises will never fail to find him. If you are seeking him, you will find him. Jeremiah the prophet said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me, notice, with all of your heart. That's the key. God said through Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me 
when you search for me with all of your heart. Again, so many people are so occupied in the yearly merchandise and cheerfulness of the yearly celebration that Jesus is obscured by all of this. We can't see him because of the stores and the shopping and the running and just going crazy at the season. The season that supposedly honors him. If he was to come in the flesh and walk these streets right now, he's going to come again, in the, but he's going to come at the end of the tribulation period. He's going to come in the future. If he was to come right now and he was to walk among us, when I say us, I don't mean just here, but, but the nation and the people, I wonder what he, I, I know what he's thinking because he's God, but to see it, to see it for him here, like he wept in Jerusalem, I'm sure he'd, wept here, he'd weep here. Because the, the, the message of Bethlehem is so far removed from, from the world today. I started tonight's message with how divided we are as a people. And again, think about it for a moment. What a wonderful promise Jesus Christ brings to the human race. He brings love, he brings hope, he brings peace, and he brings comfort. And so many people are looking for all of those things right now. But they're looking in all the wrong places. The Bible tells us that he went about doing good. Now, would anybody seriously deny that the history of mankind from the earliest records to this day is stranger and sadder than ever before? And it's going to continue to get worse. What a sad history we have of sin and suffering and war and woe and and sowing evil and reaping evil. The one and only real promise and hope of peace and goodwill towards men is is his birth. When he was born into the human race. Because that was the greatest need, deliverance from sin. His Bethlehem birth was heaven's sure sign that the earth will have a bright tomorrow. But you can have that bright day right now. He already sits on the throne of the universe in heaven in his sovereignty, and he rules over all. The mystery of the evil that's been permitted for over 2,000 years. And people say, well, you know what? If God was real and God was love, why has he allowed all this evil, all this hurt, all this suffering? Because he's waiting for you to come to him. The Bible says God is not willing that anyone should perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so he's allowed it because, yeah, you know, in Moses' day, when, when the children of Israel said, he wanted to wipe them out. He told Moses, you know what? Forget them. It's just you and me. Let's just start all over again. And he had every right to do so. And he has every right to do that today. But he says, I love them so much. And I hate what they're doing to each other. But if I wipe them out, many will perish and not see heaven. But one day that door is going to close. And we're all going to give an account. And when we stand before heaven and God says, why should I let you into my kingdom? What will you tell them? Oh, I was a good person. I didn't steal. I didn't murder. That was my famous answer. No, I did this and I did that. No, you know. God said, well, what did you do with my son? 
What was Jesus to you? Just a neat story once a year or a way of life every day? The God of this world will finally be banished when that day comes. And the now rebellious world will be at rest because there will be no more wars. The Bible says there will be no more tears and there will be a quietness under Christ's rule. No political party, no government will ever be able to or can do that. And the world thinks if we find the right leader and the right party and the right government, everything is going to be wonderful. No, it's not. Have we seen one yet? No. So in closing, just a few hours from now, we're going to be celebrating again that most wonderful mystery of the love of God, the coming of the Son of God into our human life. It's the most tender and passionate of all the Christmas celebration, Christian celebrations. So I pray that we would observe it in truth. With happiness of the right kind, with softened hearts and compassion and praise. We need to get back to Bethlehem's gift. And we need to let the babe, the Bethlehem babe in the major, call to us again over the miles and down through the centuries since that first Christmas. And let us pray that the meaning and the message of Christmas may fall on human hearts tonight like never before. I want to finish with this passage from Luke and then we'll close. Luke 2, 15 through 19. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that is from the, the, the shepherds when the angels announced the birth of Christ. When the angels had gone away from the shepherds and they had gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem. Notice, when did they say let's go to Bethlehem? Now. Not next week, not next year. I'll, I'll do it when I have more time. No, let's go now. Now is the time, the Bible says. Let's go now to Bethlehem. They went to the right place. They went to Bethlehem. That's where the promise is. And see this thing. Let's go check out the Savior. Let's go check out what the angels told us about. This thing that has come to pass. And they came with haste. Notice. They didn't dilly-dally. They came with haste. It says, and they found Mary and Joseph. Notice, they had a reward when they went and looked. They found what they were looking for. And as I said earlier, God says that, that, that those who seek me with all of their heart, they'll find me. There's a reward in Christ. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known. Notice, when they had seen the promise of God, they made it widely known. To who? Those that were around him. That's what we do here. We make Jesus Christ widely known to those around us, to those who come, to those tonight who are here. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled. They marveled. When people hear about Jesus Christ, do they marvel today? They just go, eh. It's just, you know, it, 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 the, the Bible was written by men. You can't believe the Bible. 
You can't trust it. It's a different time, different culture. Everything's different. The Bible is for all times. It's for all times. If you've noticed over the centuries, it's never has to be revised. It's never been updated and it never will because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you can trust. Man, you can't trust. They're changing every day. They tell you one thing one minute and tell you something the next. But God is a sure thing. So it says, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary meditated upon the things that she heard. She thought about the mystery of God. She thought about all that had happened to her in her life. It says, then the shepherds returned. And notice what they did. It says, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. They praised and glorified God. The very things that we heard was true. But you know what? You'll never know until you personally experience Jesus Christ in your life. Receiving that indescribable gift. I'm going to close in prayer and the worship team's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a worship song. And the song is going to be is going to give you the time to ponder as Mary did the things that you heard this evening. And the and, and the message and how it resonated in your heart. And we pray that pride and, like I said, and, and ego and, and, and intellect or any preconceived notions or ideas about Christ and salvation will be let go. And that the truth of God's word will pierce your heart tonight. And as Jesus stands knocking at the door of your heart, you will let him in. And you will have that blessed fellowship with him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And Father, we pray now that the spirit of Christmas and not just the emotions and the, the lights and the, just the, 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 the joy of it, God, is what moves us, but the truth of God's word, what it says. And Lord, help me to open my heart this Christmas to Christ. Not to open just gifts, but to open my heart to Christ. As the worship team leads us in this time of worship, as you have your eyes closed and you're praying, anytime, at any time during this song, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, just lift up your hand and, and, put, it, and put it back down again. And at the end of the song... Right where you are, we can say, you can say a prayer of faith. I'll lead you in that prayer. You can say a prayer of faith, and you can receive Christ right where you are. That's the neat thing about receiving Christ. You can receive him right where you are. So as they lead us in this song, and you're thinking about 
this indescribable gift. If you want to receive him today and make him your Lord and make him your Savior, raise up your hand and I'll acknowledge you and you can put it back down at the end. We'll pray. 